Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Thanks, guys. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's Trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. Coming up on Fast, Elon Musk says it is prime time to break up Amazon. We'll tell you about the tweet that's getting a lot of attention today. Plus, taking flight, airline stocks soar, and we have new numbers showing when passengers are really ready to return to the skies. And we're all over the after hours moves and Gap and Slack. Both companies just reporting results will break down all the big highlights from their quarters. But we start tonight with this. Yep, Viva Las Vegas after 78 days in the dark. Sin City is back in business. And you're looking at the incredible scene at the D Casino in Las Vegas shortly after it reopened at midnight. You can see the casino floor is absolutely packed. Very few people are wearing masks. No social distancing taking place. So is this worth the gamble? Let's bring in the journalist who shot this video, Mick Akers, with the Las Vegas Review Journal. Mick, great to have you with us. Hey, thanks for having me. Was it as crowded as it looks in the video? Yeah, it was. Um, that was taken nine minutes after they opened the doors and let people in, so people are ready to fill in, you know, pretty quickly. There, I uh, wasn't expecting it to be that packed, but yeah, um, that video is pretty true to true to form there. I mean, what struck me when I saw this on Twitter earlier today, Mick, was that I, I thought maybe this video got mixed up with pre-pandemic video of the D Casino, but in fact, this is a scene that that you have been witnessing all over the place. I mean, you, you've been going up and down the strip all day long into the airport as well. Yeah, I was just at McCarran Airport. Um, tons of travelers coming in. I've been going there um, ever so often, you know, during the shutdown, and it's been a ghost town. So you've seen all these people there. It's kind of weird seeing that back. Um, some of our reporters are all around the city. The Bellagio reopened today. Had a pretty good crowd. The Flamingo, Caesars, um, all those have, um, you know, some great crowds there. So, you know, people are obviously ready to get back to this uh, gambling action here in Las Vegas. Yeah, and I want to show some of the video that we have of the Bellagio, because in some of this video, I mean, obviously in some areas of the, of the hotel, uh, there is social distancing taking place, for instance, when they first open the doors in the lobby. But later on, you see uh, video of lines, people waiting in lines, and they're on top of each other. And they're not, not everybody is wearing a mask. Mick, are you surprised... Um, you know, at the reopening that people aren't necessarily following the rules to a T on the very first day. I mean, what's it going to be like in two weeks? Yeah, you know, I was surprised. I'm like, last night, I would say 15 to 20 percent of people had masks on. All the employees had masks on. I'm talking about customers, so I was a little surprised on that end. Social distancing, you know, that wasn't even a thing. They have dots on the ground in certain areas, but people weren't really adhering to that. Um, slot machines are supposed to be cut off. Um, every other one supposed to be turned off with a seat removed. But there was some locations where all the seats were in there, and there's like 10 people in a row filling the whole entire station. So I was a little surprised, that, you know, that it wasn't being followed to a T. But we'll see how this plays out over this weekend, and maybe we'll see if there's any kind of complaints or anything. And, you know, some adjustments will be made. Right. The D Casino is not on the Strip. So have you seen the differentiation between the protocols being followed on the Strip versus off Strip? Yeah, it seems a little bit more um, 
you know, to the to the book on the strip, um, they took a little bit more precautions there. A lot of them, their temperature scanners, I think, are a little bit more accurate. The one at the, at the D, they're doing it on your wrist, and people weren't even testing above 98 degrees most of the time, which was surprising. The the ones on the strip looks like they're a little bit more advanced on those. So, and they also have plexiglass in some of these um, gaming tables and some of the slot machine areas, you know, keeping space between people. And sanitizer stations throughout, uh, disinfecting, you know, high touch areas. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the MGM properties have hand washing stations on the floor, so you don't have to go into the restroom to wash your hands. You can mm-hmm. do it right there on the gaming floor. All right. Mick, thanks for giving us a glimpse of Vegas on reopening night. We hey, appreciate it, Mick Aker. You might be wondering why we started with the video of Las Vegas. Well, it's because it really encapsulates both the hope and the fear surrounding the reopening of the economy. The hope, of <clears> course, <throat> is that the consumer will come back strong as we saw with the crowds at those casinos on opening day. But the fear, of course, is that the reopening could seed another wave of coronavirus infections, a second wave, if you will. So how do you trade this? And, and are we sort of at a, at a wait-and-see moment in this rally, Guy, as we reopen, we await the impact on the infection rate, et cetera? I believe it's a wait-and-see, and Tim's about to kill me for saying this, but, you know, the Mets every year will sell out opening day, and then a week and a half later... There are more people selling concessions than are people you, in the I stands. Mean, and, you know, that's, well, I'm, I, I, I told you you were going to kill me. Just give me a second, then you can go from there. My point is, you know, it makes sense that you saw the type of crowds on reopening. My sense, um, it's going to somewhat wane. That's really not the point. I'll tell you this. You know, I don't have much of a memory, but March 20th happened to be a Friday, and we do, as you know, a truncated show. And on that day, we were looking for green shoots. And I remember Tim and I both mentioned the performance of win that day. You know, it reversed, I think, off a 35 low, closed higher on the day. And we mentioned that was a good sign. And since then, you know, we've been relatively positive on these casino stocks. But I think now's the time you pull the ripcord and take profits. I think on May 21st, Credit Suisse initiated neutral with a $75 price target on win. And that makes sense. I'm not suggesting to short them. But I do think if you've enjoyed this run over the last couple months, now's the time to take some money off the table. Tim Seymour, I'll let you go ahead, you Mets fan, you. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, it it could also be a sign of the the casinos are uh, like the Yankees uh, throwing uh, big money at the dice at the craps table. Uh, You know, you have a case here where this data, these videos, this assessment of Las Vegas coming back or not, uh, reminds me a lot of what we were talking about yesterday as it related to uh, the poll of who was going to take a vaccine if given uh, or who's just going to just go for it. And, and I think there's a sense of an inevitability of, of this virus until there's actually a vaccine um, and some sense for a lot of folks that we just got to get on with it. Um, if you look at the economy and you look at the, the data points we've had, um, they're not green shoots. They, they are less bad. Um, so it's it's the essentially the delta on uh, where we are coming from is is been what's getting people to feel better. Um, if you look at the bond market, look at the Treasury market, look at the move in the last three days. We've had a 20 basis point move in the 10 year. So we closed at 82, 83 basis points. Nothing to get excited about per se. But this is 10 week highs. Um, the bond market, more than the equity market on some level, um, has certainly traded in a very tight range and has been uh, you know on some level really what people were waiting for. I'm not telling you that we should be seeing yields move very quickly higher. 
Um, but when you look at the weaker dollar, uh, the yields breakout, the, the reflationary stuff that continues to trade and be the best part of the market right now, uh, whether you're investing in resources or energy uh, or, or shippers or, or, or rails, um, that's the part that I think is reflective of what this Las Vegas scene um, is, is telling you about the appetite for health risk in this country. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, in terms of, of confirming this move, and Dan, I'm going to go to you because you have highlighted financials as being the worst chart in the markets. It signals all sorts of bad things. We've had financials trade really well for a while now. And so can you say at this point, you know, may, maybe there's something to this rally. Yeah, there is. I mean, listen, we've been talking about this rotation. Look what underperformed today was mega cap tech. What, look, look what outperformed was obviously banks. They like that steepening yield curve. I'm just not convinced right now. I know that they're still down meaningfully from their January highs in a name like J.P. Morgan. That was an all-time high. I think what's really important to remember is this, that Q2, and, and you know, Tim just said this, the data is going to be less bad. The data is historically historically horrible. You know, GDP now by Atlanta Fed right now has Q2 GDP down 54% or so. We have 43 million Americans that have filed for unemployment over the last three months or so. So those numbers will get better period over period, but they're going to stay bad and depressed for a long time. And so when I see videos like that, from uh, Las Vegas last night, they actually may have the exact opposite effect. It may repel people from going to places like that. These guys were talking about the woeful Mets, you know, in week two, what they generally look like. Listen, all the sports may come back, the professional sports. There's no people in the stands. There aren't even the concession workers. So I think when we're thinking about the economy in the second half of 2020 and probably for the better part of 2021, we better start modeling what 10 percent unemployment looks like mm -hmm. for a sustainable period of time. And just to refresh your memory, that's nearly three times what that 60-year low print and unemployment was at 3.5% in February. And I just think that the market right now is discounting a lot of good news on the reopening, a lot of good news about a vaccine, a lot of good news about the speed of a recovery. And I just don't buy it. I do not think that the stock... Listen, have at it. The stock market is up 42% from those lows, but you're telling me down 3% in the S&P 500 year to date that that makes any sense given what we know about the road back. I don't buy it. Nine and a half minutes into the show, we get our first Danism, have at it. Um, I agree with have you, and I take it. your point in terms of the, uh, the chronically high unemployment that we are likely to see persist throughout the end of the year, Karen. But we've seen this time and time again in terms of betting against the consumer. We've, the data points are, you know, we saw that video the Tanger CEO yesterday at that conference saying that in South Carolina, where things have reopened, 80 percent, the retail traffic is 80 percent of what it was pre-COVID uh, in, in the early days. I mean, things like that make you think never bet it against the consumer. Right. I, I don't like to bet against the U.S. consumer, especially when the Fed is also there in the biggest way we've ever seen in the history of the Fed. So, I mean... I agree that it seems incredibly odd that we're down 3 or 4% in the S&P, and yet we're in the middle of a pandemic and, you know, Depression-era unemployment. But I think the market is just looking at the trajectory of earnings, not the absolute level of earnings. And so I'm not looking to put new money to work here because I think so many things have moved so far. Um, but I think that... The, um, the bond move is important for banks, particularly, not just for necessarily for their net interest margin, which will have a minimal effect in the short term, but I think for this sentiment 
about banks. You know, look how poorly they traded when we were talking zero interest rates or even potentially negative interest rates. And that was only, what, two or three weeks ago, I think. So um, and I, I think that for the moment is, is off the table. I think we'll also see some more stimulus not, uh, from the government. So that can keep the fire going. Um, I think there's also a little bit of adverse selection when you see uh, videos like that one um, that the people who are uh, the least afraid, the ones who wouldn't be um, looking to get the vaccine, they're all in. They're yep. ready to go. I'm not. I, what would you rather do, Melissa? I'm gonna, what would you rather, fly or go to that casino? I'd rather fly than go to the casino. I mean, yeah, would you agree, guys? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I would agree. <laughs> I don't know. I, you don't know, to, why not? I, you know, my, my view... It, well, first of all, going to a casino, you are in control of your social distancing. On a plane, it seems as you're not. Um, and and uh, uh, anyway, I mean, I, I think flying, we're going to talk about airlines later, uh, but I, I think airlines are putting certain precautions in place that probably can't be violated uh, as easily as the casinos. But but look, I, I, I get that in the first nine minutes, people were rushing into those casinos. Of course they were. Um, there's plenty of people that think they are immune and, and think they are certainly going to be impervious from the virus, or maybe, in fact, they, they are. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm not surprised um, that there are not that there are animal spirits for people that want to go out, spend some money, feel good about themselves. People are not in a good way emotionally right now. I, I, you know, and I think a lot of people are willing to throw caution to the wind. I think that's an interesting point. Um, for more on the markets, let's bring in RBC's head of U.S. equity strategy, Lori Calvacina. Lori, great to see you. Hi, great to be here. Um, you're calling for 2750 on the S&P 500. What's, what's your number one worry about this market? So, look, I, I agree with a lot of what Dan said. I think that the rally has actually been pretty logical. It's tr it's very textbook. The kinds of things you would expect to work off a recession low have been working. But it's pretty rich right now. We think we're trading about 25 times this year's earnings, 21 times next year's earnings. You had a valuation opportunity. It's dissipated. And now we've got to confront the reality that we are going to be in a pretty deep hole in this economy for a while. So markets are focused on rate of change, ignoring the lousy levels. Um, I think there are a number of hurdles that are coming up, um, you know, in particular, the 2020 election, I think is a big risk looming over the markets this summer that investors are really starting to pay attention to. Um, I think also just the idea that we've seen this sequential progress happening recently. Is that just pent up animal spirits, as I think, as I think Tim said earlier, or is that going to be a sustained move if we just, you know, if this is just a big sigh of relief that's going on right now, and then we don't see that continued improvement on all fronts. I think markets are going to have a tough time. And you know, frankly, I, I worry when we're talking about the consumer, we never saw consumer sentiment fall to financial crisis lows the way we did different industrial economic indicators. So if we do get a second wave of the virus, if we do have a changing of a guard in Washington, um, these are all things that could potentially still come back and weigh on consumers. If a lot of those job loss, those jobs that were lost don't come back, I don't think that's factored into the consumer psyche. And it's certainly not factored into markets right now. It's funny because the 2020 election seems so far away and because of all the stuff that's going on right now. And yet it's, it's really right around the corner, Lori. And you sort of address yeah. in terms of changing of the guard. But how does the market and I want to be clear to our audience, we're not a political show, so we're not saying yeah. endorsing Democrats or Republicans or anything like that. But how do the markets perceive Donald Trump staying in office or things being status quo in Washington? Is that the preferred scenario still? 
So we, we try to stay out of the politics as well. And one of the ways we do that is we do regular investor surveys and we ask equity investors, how do you think markets will react in different scenarios? And what we have seen consistently when we've been doing that over the last year, year and a half, is that equity investors think that a Trump re-election is a positive outcome for markets. Um, and we've also seen that equity investors have generally expected the Senate to stay in Republican hands, thought that, that there was really no chance that the Democrats um, would be able to come back in. So it was sort of a hedge. Even if Trump lost, the Senate wouldn't flip, and so there wouldn't be any massive policy change. Now, what we know is that if you look at the betting markets, if you look at the predicted data, um, Trump's expectations, his chances for re-election according to the betting markets have really fallen, um, and some of those data points that are tracked there, Biden has it by a nose. Um, and also the Senate is viewed by the betting markets now as basically a toss-up. So the, the expectations on the political front that sort of the market-friendly scenario would stay in place, uh, that's really started to fade in the betting markets. And I talk to a lot of investors who watch what's happening in those betting markets daily, and they are starting to get very worried. Hey, Lori, it's Dan. Um, assuming that we don't see a, a massive second wave in the virus and that we continue to have the stimulus and things are, are generally um, calmed down as far as in the streets here in America, what do you think the biggest risk right now to just things continuing to kind of move forward? Is it high unemployment um, in the back half of this year, into next year? And what sort of unemployment rate should investors get comfortable with as we go into 2021? That, that's a great question on the unemployment rate. Look, I don't have a specific number in my head, but I think it's probably going to be higher than what investors are anticipating. Um, you know, I, I think, frankly, the biggest risk is probably the consumer itself and those job losses. And what I've started to hear some concerns about from investors I speak with is, are we going to get a second wave of layoffs? So we've seen that companies have really been focused on cost cutting. And initially, at least they're standing by their employees trying to keep people employed. But it's not clear that that's going to that's going to last. Um, just the, the emphasis on cost cutting is going to be there. Um, and, and also companies have higher costs that they've got to manage against, that they've got to balance against, because all these things you have to do to keep your employees safe, your workers safe, those are going to eat into margins. So that's going to create incremental pressures. Um, so, you know, we think markets are basically anticipating the perfect V-shaped recovery. Everyone gets back to normal in the third quarter. Mm -hmm. um, the jobs mostly come back. And that, that even if it happens, it's in the stocks now. So we, we've seen that, you know, markets are not reacting well today. We got some economic data that came in a little worse than expected all week. It was the opposite. The data was better than expected. I don't think the setup here is necessarily for the data to come in better than expected anymore. All right. Lori, thank you. Great to see you. Lori Calvis. Thanks for having me. RBC. Um, Guy Dami, and of course, tomorrow is the big jobs report. Sure it is. I mean, and, you know, all over the map. And quite frankly, if you told me what the number is going to be right now, I think I have a 50-50 shot in terms of understanding where the market's going to go. I don't think you have any edge whatsoever, because quite frankly, I don't know what's a good number and what's a bad number at this point. What I'll say is this, 2750 within you know, a few digits is where, we th where I thought the S&P would stop on the upside, sort of that 2800 level. So I understand where she's getting that number one. Number two, she brings up valuations. You know, I do think valuations matter. And right now, if, even if you assume $130 worth of earnings, which I think is somewhat ridiculous, you're still talking about a market trading 24 times. And who knows what it's going to look like next year. And to your point that you've made about pay cuts and layoffs, nobody wants to say it. And I'm not sure any CEOs want to say it right now in this environment. But behind closed doors, you can rest assured that they're talking about how do we reduce headcount 
and how do we reduce pay, uh, compensation. That's absolutely going on, and nobody can tell me otherwise. None of that, by the way, is particularly bullish. All right. Coming up, a billionaire brawl. Elon Musk taking aim at Jeff Bezos. Why Musk says it is prime time for an Amazon breakup. And later, you won't believe what e-commerce stock just hit an all-time high. We'll tell you what it is and what, what's behind this move. Fast Money's back in two. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. It is the ultimate billionaire showdown. Elon Musk targeting Jeff Bezos and Amazon tweeting, quote, time to break up Amazon monopolies are wrong. This was in response to another Twitter user, a noted COVID skeptic who said Amazon Kindle declined to publish his book called Unreported Truths About COVID-19 and Lockdowns because it did not comply with guidelines. Now, there are a lot of layers to the story in this war of words. First of all, it brings Amazon squarely into debate over whether platforms should have any role in filtering content. And second, it highlights a rivalry between Musk and Bezos on space, on EVs, uh, with Amazon's investment in Rivian. Uh, Dan, I know you flagged this to me as soon as it hit. What was your first reaction here? Well, pretty interesting. I mean, obviously, Musk has had a lot to say about COVID. He's had a lot to say about the lockdowns. Um, he's had a lot to say about space. Um, and so, you know, at the end of the day, I, I just kind of find it funny that he's kind of pointing fingers here. I think Jeff Bo- uh, Bezos is widely viewed as one of the most innovative um, CEOs the world's ever seen. I think uh, Musk would be very happy with that title at some day in the future. I guess the issue I would say for Amazon is not as much about a breakup. It's really what uh, Vice President Biden said to Andrew Ross Sorkin a couple weeks ago on CNBC about their taxes. This is a company that in Q1 had $75 billion in sales and had $2.5 billion in net income. They obviously talked about having increased uh, costs. I think we're having problems with uh, Dan's feed here. So we'll go straight over to Karen and get get your thoughts, Karen. I mean, the other interesting dichotomy between these two uh, billionaires is that Elon Musk is viewed very favorably by the president. He was called the Thomas Edison of our times. Um, <laughs> SpaceX has a contract with NASA. And then on the flip side, Jeff Bezos is is target left and right for for President Trump. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. I mean, um, it's sort of funny that uh, Elon Musk is able to walk the line of being in the president's good graces and yet having a, probably a workforce that probably isn't, uh, you know, so pro-Trump. That would be my guess. I don't know. And it's in, so. Uh, and as you said, Jeff Bezos owning the Washington Post, and you know, clearly the president doesn't like him. So I wonder, does does a tweet from Elon Musk uh, to not directly, but to the you know the tweeter in chief, does that have any, does that have any pull? Can he actually get something done? I don't know. I don't know. But I think um, if you like Amazon, I wouldn't sell it over this. Tim? Interesting he wasn't tweeting about his own company. Um, I I do think you have uh, a case where we saw this when Tesla was, you know, basically fighting the system uh, to 
get open in California or move out, it did seem like there was an implicit endorsement from Washington, that there was cover. Uh, and we've seen this over and over. Remember the president's interview with Joe Kernan uh, at Davos. So I, there, there is some sense that, that there, are, uh, uh, there are factions that, that are being put to work here. Amazon being split up is obviously not a new concept. Um, to the extent that there is anti-competitive uh, uh, you know, pressure out there and has been for a long time, and, and Amazon has run for a long time, really not for profit, let's be clear. Uh, they were running for scale. Uh, they were running for fulfillment and logistics and ERP and, and, and pushing people out of business. So, I mean, I, I can see both sides. I love it as a consumer. Um, as a small business person, I, I think there's a lot of reason uh, to be frustrated by Amazon and feel that there needs to be a little bit more of a push out there. Guy? It's very interesting. I'm glad Tim brought up that Davos interview. I think I encourage people that are interested to go back and listen specifically what the president said about Elon Musk and Tesla because, and you can draw your own conclusions, but factually, I mean, the stock has done nothing but gone up since. And Elon Musk is talking and tweeting right now like he has air cover. Maybe he does, but, you know, he's doing things now that, that, that lead me to believe he feels he's impervious. And Uh-oh. that obviously augurs well for Tesla. But uh, I think Amazon is the wait, place to be wait, here. Are you saying that with sarcasm, that it augurs well for Tesla? Because no. I, oh, I would say, I no, would say that I mean, he feels that there's cover and that gives him a longer leash to tweet something stupid that gets him in trouble. Which he has done, and it doesn't seem to matter yeah. for the stock. I mean, he, didn't, didn't he say the stock was too expensive? Right. I mean, that lasted about two and a half days, and it's, and it's right back. So, uh, you know, look, I mean, it's just interesting to watch this all play out. And, and again, I encourage people to go back and listen to that interview. It's fascinating, some of the things that were said in retrospect. All right. Coming up, airline stocks soaring for a second straight day. But when will travelers truly feel comfortable getting back on a plane? The surprising new numbers you've got to hear. And later, what's in the name? Why the Zoom boom is leaving some investors scratching their heads. Fast Money's back in two. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com methane. Our revenues now are running, you know, some, uh, they're down about, they were down about over 90%. Now they're down around 80%. Uh, but that's, so anyway, gradual improvement. We have a long road ahead, uh, but it's coming back. And uh, we, we, therefore, have begun to add more flights. 
That was American Airlines CEO Doug Parker hinting at a comeback ahead for airlines. In fact, the group flying high today on more positive outlook. And our next guest has new numbers on when passengers are really ready to return to the friendly skies. Let's bring in Jeffrey's aerospace and defense analyst, Sheila Kayalu. Sheila, great to have you with us. Thank you, Melissa, for having me. This was a survey of more than 1,500 consumers in the U.K., the U.S., as well as China. And what did you find? And I'm I'm really curious about their appetite for flying, given the airlines seem to be adding capacity so quickly. So we found that 55% of consumers don't want to fly for the next six months. 21% don't see themselves flying for the next 12 months. But what we thought was really interesting was that Chinese consumers are more ready to fly Over 60% said they want to fly in the next three months. And that makes sense because Chinese traffic has opened, the economy has reopened, and they're way out of this versus us. We've actually conducted another survey where we're tracking real-time air traffic and scheduled flights. And what we're seeing in China right now is Chinese domestic traffic is down 1% year over year, very close to normal. Whereas international traffic in China is down 94% still. So um, you're seeing that recovery. And what else? Another thing our survey found was that folks want to travel domestic, not international anytime soon. Okay, so um, that's great for China and great for the Chinese consumer. Are you are you raising this because you think that this could be a blueprint for the recovery that we will see in the United States? Exactly. I think it is a blueprint for what we're going to see in the U.S. As these restrictions get lifted, people feel more comfortable going to a restaurant. They feel more comfortable seeing friends. They'll get back in the air. I think domestic will come back first, and that's why from our aerospace manufacturing standpoint, we're more supportive of narrow body production rates versus international traffic and the larger aircraft like wide bodies. Mm -hmm. And in terms of the airlines providing that domestic travel, what sorts of airlines? I mean, is it going to be sort of the large carriers that depend on having a hub where you got to transfer or is it going to be a point to point sort of airline? The uh, U.S. airlines are pretty well diversified when you look at Delta, United, in terms of their international traffic. I think what we're also seeing is the type of aircraft that they'll use will be newer aircraft. So they're going to keep their A350s in their fleet, their 787s, and retire some older, uh, less efficient models like the A380s, the 777s, um, 747s. And just quickly, when when you hear about the airline's intentions to add capacity, Sheila, over the summer... Does that jive with what you learned from the survey and, and your data points? And, and granted, the airlines are operating at just partial capacity, and so, so maybe they have to add the capacity. Um, but, but how does that line up? Sure, exactly. I mean, we're seeing that right now. In fact, yesterday, uh, the International Air Transport Association came up with a global figure where, where they're seeing traffic. It was down 82% for April. Our survey says where we're tracking scheduled flights, it's down 87% in May. But we think we saw the worst of it the week of May 18th. So that was the bottom. We're tracking traffic this week down only 63%. So that drives directly with Doug Parker's comments in terms of what they're starting to see in terms of capacity coming back. All right. Sheila, great to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you. Sheila Kayalu of Jefferies. Uh, Tim Seymour, you are in the airline. So pretty hopeful what Sheila said. Yeah. I, I, to me, it's always been about a question of timing. Um, I, I feel strongly about this for myself, and I feel strongly about this for the airlines. The problem is that a lot of airlines don't have runway, pardon the pun. Um, 
maybe intended. Um, but the, the cash flow burn has been enormous. So as, as we've seen um, some expedited, both coming back to work, um, some of the sentiment. But, but listen to what Delta's announced over the last couple of days. They, they put out their safety measures. They've talked about their employees and the deal they now have with Quest Diagnostics and the Mayo Clinic. Um, they say capacity or the number of flights in July will be two times the number of that in May. Uh, they've told you about the middle seat's going to still be there. First class capacity will be 50%. You know, this is all about getting people more comfortable and actually doing something to begin to put capacity online that you can idle a lot of capacity. It's different than, than a production line. You can bring it back on pretty quickly. Um, the move in the airlines has been 45 percent uh, greater than the entire market over the last 13 days. Um, and to be clear, and I was bullish about them be when this happened uh, when this hadn't happened. And I liked airlines for the 15 percent. They underperformed the market going into the crisis. So they weren't a great trade coming into this. They were a terrible trade into it. Um, they They've now been an extraordinary trade. And I, I think there's a lot of confidence that this timing issue is being overcome. Um, Guy, just quickly on American Airlines, I'm curious your thoughts. This huge 41 percent movement granted about 35 percent of shares outstanding are short. So this is sort of a coiled spring. But American Airlines are adding capacity at the same time. They just got their credit rating cut yesterday um, to deeper into junk territory. No, it's interesting. And again, Good for Tim. It's been on it. And absolutely, we talked about, for, and I'll talk about America in a second, but Delta, we talked about, I remember the day, May 14th, the day they said they were, you know, from 14,000 to 7,000 pilots. That stock closed higher that day, and we've been basically on it ever since. And last night we said, you know, $31 is probably where it trades up to pull the ripcord. And I think that's exactly what you do. You can go back and look at Delta specifically. I mean, that actually stock bounced in mid-March up to 32 and then failed again down to that 17 and a half, 18 level. In terms of American, big short interest in this environment is not particularly healthy, but they're probably getting squeezed. You probably have seen the capitulation. So I would say, like the casinos, if you've enjoyed this bounce, if you caught it, there's zero wrong with taking money off the table. I, you know, and Warren Buffett didn't get stupid overnight, if you recall. He, uh, you know, he liquidated his positions Timing might not have been good, but the thought process is probably very sound. All right. Coming up, Slack getting whacked. Why investors are logging off from this ultimate work-from-home play. And later, some unusual options activity in Tiffany. We'll tell you if traders are seeing some deal danger. Fast Money's back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a couple of earnings alerts on two big names moving in the after-hour session. We've got full team coverage. Courtney Reagan standing by on The Gap and Restoration Hardware. But we'll start off with Deidre Bosa with the latest on Slack. Deidre. Hey, Melissa, that earnings call is underway. And at the top of it, CEO Stuart Butterfield, he started by saying that Amazon has licensed Slack for all of its employees, which is significant because Amazon is the second largest private employer in the country with nearly 850,000 employees. That announcement, however, has not been enough to stem losses that we have seen in extended hours. Those shares down more than 16 percent now. And this is mainly because investors, they already knew that Slack's user growth is surging amid the pandemic. But what we learned today is that that hasn't actually translated into a similar surge in the bottom or top lines. Revenue grew 50 percent year over year compared to 49 percent year over year the previous quarter. Not a huge bump. It's full year guidance disappointing given those lofty expectations and the enormous run up in share price this year. Now compare that to another hot, very popular work from home play Zoom, which earlier this week said that its revenue surged 170 percent last quarter and doubled more than doubled its earnings guidance. Now on the earnings call, which is in the Q&A portion right now, Butterfield is trying to address 
the big question of sustainability around all these work from home plays as the economy reopens. He said that unlike many other video conferencing platforms, he mentioned Microsoft Teams, Google Hangouts, even Zoom, he said that Slack is not a digital substitute for in-person meetings, but acts more like a digital office. So, quote, a persistent place. And Melissa, he's going to be on Squawk Box tomorrow morning, so don't miss that. All right, Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa on Slack. Uh, Dan Nathan, do you think he's going to be able to make the case that this work from home boost can last? Yeah, no doubt about it. I think some of the changes that have been implemented over the last few months are here to stay. And listen, as far as the stock's concerned, I mean, this is an example of trader on trader crime. You know, this stock is trading basically where it was a week ago. Um, you know, so it had that run up from $31 to nearly $40 in less than 10 trading days. And expectations were really high. This is a company that's growing sales 50% year over year. So yes, they're not uh, profitable. Zoom is mildly profitable on an adjusted basis. I've just been making the case about Slack since it was in the mid-20s that on a multiple of the sales, Slack is very cheap relative to Zoom. And, and uh, CEO Butterfield just made the case why they're a very, very different offering. So I like Slack down here in the low 30s. All right, let's get to two other big names in the retail space. Gap and RH making some moves in the after hours. Courtney's got all the details. Hey, Court. Hi, Melissa. So Gap shares have really been whipped around a lot in these last couple months. Right now, after hours, they are down about 6%, but we're up about 52% in a month and up about 27% in a week. So they've had quite a run here. Of course, unprecedented store closures from the COVID-19 crisis really impacting the quarter. Revenues falling worse than expected. The retailer not giving comparable sales, saying it really doesn't make any sense in this quarter because of the closures. But if you look at by brand, the Gap brand down globally, Globally, about 50%. Banana Republic, not much better, down 47%. Old Navy Global, Net Brands, down 42%. Athleta faring the best because they do have a decent amount online. Still, though, down 8% for the quarter. In general, online sales were strong, up about 40% in the month of April, 100% in May. But online sales are just about a quarter of Gap's total, at least as of the most recent fiscal year. So it's not enough to really make up that difference from all the store closures. Gap also putting up a gross margin of just 12.7%. And then if we can switch gears and look at RH here, really, this is an interesting one because stores also closed. Nevertheless, they were able to beat consensus for both earnings and revenue, even with the closed stores and restaurants. RH said that trends improved each week of the quarter, starting in March, continued the acceleration in May. The furniture seller also putting up what it calls significantly higher product margins and says it's optimistic that those trends will continue to improve with the reopenings. About 74% of the galleries are reopened. RH shares are higher after hours. These are up about 75% in one month's time. So quite a run for RH leading up to these results. Melissa? Courtney, just quickly, uh, back on the gap, did they address the rent, the Simon property rent issue? Yeah, exactly. So just to remind our viewers, Simon property has sued the gap for $66 million in rent that they owed. And gap did say, yeah, we suspended our rent payments starting in April. And they say that they're working with all of their landlords to come to like a mutually agreeable situation for each of these. But they are leaving the door open to see if they can use this opportunity to talk about concessions, talk about maybe some rent abatement, maybe a co-tenancy clause or two that kicks into a 
effect if there's an anchor tenant that was lost during the course of the crisis to try to make this better. And what's interesting is they actually did accrue the rent expense in the quarter, even though they didn't actually pay it. So that figure could end up getting changed as they go forward once they figure out exactly how much rent they owe and then I guess ultimately decide what they pay. Mm. Courtney, thank you. Courtney Reagan. Karen, you're digging in on, on the gap in that rent issue. Right. I think uh, when they decide how much they owe, I think Simon probably pretty well knows how much they owe. Um, I don't know. Simon is only one of their landlords, I would imagine. Um, so this is interesting to me, especially because they did raise a fair amount of money early in the crisis. They drew down a revolver and then they did a number of debt deals. So I think in terms of liquidity, they probably would be able to pay. Um, it's, an, it's an interesting tactic. Um, I, I think, you know, maybe they'll get some relief there. All that having been said, though, those numbers are terrible. Um, the, the, the online improved. I think it probably still has a pretty far way to go. Um, the thing that was most interesting to me was how vastly different Athleta was from Gap and Old Navy and uh, Banana Republic, which was only down eight. I'm Long Lulu, so I hope that that reflects very well on you know, what, what the consumer wanted to be buying. I'm concerned about Gap. I don't own it. Um, the, this, I, I'm really interested, though, in how this rent um, struggle plays out, because you can bet there are you know, however many other chains behind them uh, who are going to do the same thing if right. it works. Right. Tim? And already have. They already have started doing it. So, I'm, and what Karen's concerned about some things in Gap, I mean, what I'm concerned about with Restoration Hardware is purely the fact that th these second quarter numbers, which are extraordinary, um, have really uh, both signify major sales pulled forward, in my view, uh, and also an expectation. Remember, this was, this stock got down near 80. I, I think it's, it's printing, you know, up near 250. I mean, it's been, it's, it's gone from being a have not to a have because uh, a couple things have happened. Their addressable market seems to have, have grown. The CEO was talking about that a couple of days ago. Their operating margins have shot through the roof as They've, if stores have closed uh, and their online business has, has exploded, um, you can't tell me uh, that, yeah, I get people are home, people are sprucing up, people are hunkering in, people are nesting, um, but, but they're not going to have those kinds of numbers. And it was a relative outperformance to expectations that makes the second quarter look so good. So as much as I've loved this story, I don't love it here. I certainly don't think you need to go buy it here. I, I think that's a good point, Tim, in terms of, and, and Guy, you know this well, I mean, pull forward of demand because there's only so many so many armoires or chaises that you could fit in your in your home. Oh, one of you know, couch. Yeah, I, I hear you. I mean, where are you going to put this stuff after a while? But I mean, that's why all these you know, you store it places have 97 percent capacity because people have too much bleep, if you know what I mean. And I said bleep. I didn't use the word. With that said, Tim is spot on. I mean, operating margins came in at 10 percent. The street was looking for 7.1%. I mean, this is a pretty extraordinary quarter, but now valuation is starting to get in the way. And in terms of gap, I mean, that stock went from 5 to 13. I don't think it's going back to 5, but I don't think it's sticking around 13 for much longer. So maybe they can pay their rent in denim. Coming up, a deal in danger. Why options traders are betting Tiffany's merger with luxury powerhouse LVMH is about to hit the skids. Plus, one online retailer touching a fresh all-time high today will reveal the name and much more right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of eBay hitting an all-time high. The company raising its sales and profit forecast for the current quarter on a surge in online sales due to the coronavirus. So, Dan, what do you make of this move? 
Really interesting headline this morning. I think it caught a lot of people by surprise, but not that many. This stock traded as low as $26 in March. It, it traded over 50 today. Um, the results were great. I think it also sp uh, speaks to the fact that Amazon Prime did not work the way that a lot of online shoppers had expected during the pandemic, and they got a bit creative here looking for other outlets. So this is one, I think, back to the mid to low 40s. I think you reload on this thing all day long, trading about 15 times. Um, they might have just kind of proven something that's taken 20 years for this company to prove. Karen, you had an interesting question about the release of this, and that is why? Why now? Right. What, they don't have a, a duty to update us in the middle of the quarter. So what made them come out with this release? Um, it, it makes you think, so, as you know, Elliot was in there and had a number of things on their agenda, one of which was to break up part of the company and sell their classified business, which is in a a hot auction right now. And I don't know if it's to sort of say, look, we're doing great. We don't need to sell this. But, you know, if you want to buy it, give us a big price. That's the, I don't know. That would be the spin I'm thinking. Otherwise, why do they need to? I don't know why they need to come out in the middle of a quarter. They don't have a duty to do that. Yeah. But Good nevertheless, much. I used to own it and I don't now, which makes me sad. So <laughs> um, good for them. That's impressive. Still ahead, trouble at Tiffany's. The why the options market says the jewelry giant's multi-billion mer dollar merger with LVMH may be in jeopardy. Plus, shares of Zoom Info ripping higher on its market debut. We'll break down the action. Don't go anywhere. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Pass Money. We've got an update on a story we've been following for you all week long. Sources telling CNBC that Tiffany is prepared to litigate if LVMH proposes a price cut to its deal offer. This news adding to doubts a deal will go through, and those concerns are starting to bubble up in the options market. Mike Coast got all the action. Mike. Hi, Melissa. So Tiffany saw over four times its average daily options volume today, and I heard Karen mention earlier this week that she used to be in risk arb. It's very common for the risk arbs to buy stock and sell calls. And we saw a lot of call selling. What's not common is when the call strike that's being sold is below the deal price, which is $135 a share in this case. Among the trades that I saw that I thought were particularly interesting is we saw sales of the weekly 120 strike calls, and then proceeds were used to purchase even more of the 90 strike puts that expire in August. One of those was a block of 1,000 by 1,500, and the trader spent about $414,000 to put that trade on. Clearly doing that is making a speculative bet that the deal's number one, not going to take pr place at the agreed upon price, and also demonstrates that they be believe there's a significant risk that it doesn't happen at all. Mm, very interesting. Mike, thanks for that. Mike Coe, for more Options Action, be sure to tune into the full show. That is tomorrow at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, the Zoom boom. How Wall Street's name game is creating some serious confusion. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Zoom Info topping the tape. The stock soaring more than 60% in its public debut. But don't get this mixed up with the hot teleconference stock, Zoom Video, or Zoom Away Travel, or Zoom Telephonics, or Zoom Technologies, or Zoom Technologies, which actually had to stop trading because of all the confusion. So we've seen a boom in Zoom, in the companies with the Zoom in it guy, but also in the Zoom Info stock and in the Zoom video stock. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not looking to, I'll use the word fricassee, Morgan Stanley and J.P. Morgan, or I think price this thing, but the stock, stock, opened at, the stock price at $21. It opened at 40 I mean, 
that's almost 100%, and even I can do that math. In my world, it was mispriced. You can say whatever you want and don't at me, but you know and I know, you understand why people get um, exorcised about Wall Street sometimes? Well, that's one of the reasons right there, in my humble opinion. All right. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim. If you own AT&T, you've been a little exorcised about the underperformance of this big uh, wireless and cable giant. Uh, I think you actually play this one. I think you play the underperformance and the fact that the debt market is actually open to them and their leverage is coming down. Karen Feinerman. Yeah, so if the consumer's coming back, and like we heard in Tanger, you know, the traffic is good, but the consumer wants a bargain. Nowhere better to go than TJX. Max Anista. Dan. Yeah, Slack. I love it. They're taking on Cisco. They're taking on Microsoft. They're taking on Google. I think you use a 30 stop to the downside relative to Zoom. I think it's cheap on a multiple of the sales. Guy. If interest rates are going to rise, I believe all states still has room to the upside. ALL, Melissa. All right. Thank you all for watching. Fast to see back here tomorrow at 5. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.